Do you want me to play the intro music? Oh, yeah, yeah, play the intro music. Okay. <laughs> Warm me up here. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Double Cuzzies, where two people who share 25% of their DNA and their entire extended families talk about life. It's like if Liam and Chris Hemsworth married Miley and Noah Cyrus and had kids. All right, so on this episode of Double Cuzzies, we are going to give you a little bit more of an introduction into ourselves because we are narcissists and didn't talk about ourselves enough in the first half hour episode. So Kalia, over to you. You have um, an exercise that we're going to do. Yeah. So we're just going to do what I call about us ping pong. Racist. Not racist though. Just a little back and forth about us to give our uh, non-existent listeners a little bit of background about us. So to To reinforce ourselves to each other. (laughs) Who are you, Kalia? Yeah. Who's your family? What's your family like? So I think we we got a good little baseline intro about our family and our double cousiness. So I think maybe where we live, you know, I touched on... Kalia's address is... (laughs) (laughs) The GPS coordinates are... Both of us were born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. I have stayed in Phoenix... And in around Phoenix, my entire life thus far, I went to college at ASU, live now in Scottsdale. I love Phoenix. I mean, it's a very, I, I say this is a plus and minus about it. It's a very, very comfortable place to live. But I think with that, it can just become a little too comfortable and you can become complacent with the atmosphere and what you're dealing with. I do love it because everything is accessible. The landscape is beautiful. One of my major gripes is that it's not very diverse at all. I live in Scottsdale right now and a lot of times I'll go out to dinner and I'll be the only person of color in the room. Dining. So, yes. In the dining room. Dining room. Yeah, not in the kitchen or anything. No. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean... Phoenix is great. It's beautiful. Things are very accessible, but my big gripe is the lack of diversity. And I think uh, I don't want to be here forever. And that would be my main driver to move out of Phoenix. And I think with that too, it gives me a very unique perspective being Asian American here, identifying as Asian American. And, you know, how do I fit in or what does that mean for myself? And I feel like, especially with Things that have happened in the past two years, I have been a little bit shielded in a way because I don't have to see, you know, the Asian hate crimes or Asian discrimination in my community as much as other people would. So that's been something that's interesting to talk to Emily about because she does not live here. And in a way, it's like I I feel disconnected and feel honestly like it's gross to say, but kind of privileged that that doesn't impact me as much. But also part of that work is realizing that's not the situation for a lot of people and to kind of break out of my little bubble here and learn to empathize with people who are going through different things. So yeah, that's my my gripe about Scottsdale and Phoenix. And um, this was supposed to be the intro part. Yeah, sure, just gripe spiral, Oops. spiraled, <laughs> in the gripe. Yeah, but uh, that's all to say, like, yeah, uh, it's a very Caucasian 
culture here and I wish there was some more diversity and I think that's something that you have to seek out if you live in Phoenix and we both dealt with that in different ways when we were younger and I think Arizona is interesting and the southwest is interesting because you know there is diversity by numbers however it is not integrated mm-hmm. right so because we share the border with Mexico you know the immigration is a huge thing mm-hmm. in Arizona and so there's a huge pop- population of Mexicans and Mexican Americans and but it is very isolated like so the neighborhood depending on what neighborhood you're in it could be very white or it could be very brown there are or it could be very yellow i suppose but yeah not i mean getting more so tempe was super diverse both of us because it's right by the university right by the university and then parts of phoenix too but i I mean i say this and i'm like i live probably in one of the whitest parts of the whole valley (laughs) (laughs) so i've done it to myself but yeah like how do i how do I deal with that or how do I process that day to day? It's it's very different. Yeah, it makes it easier to not think about that part of your identity because it doesn't uh, in affect how you interact with your world mm-hmm. regularly. Yeah, and it doesn't have to. Like if I'm facing that, it's almost like a deliberate like you're putting yourself in a in an environment or a situation where that is part of the conversation yeah. intentionally. Yeah. So it's funny if this topic is where we live, but it's like, how do we exist in where we live? And I think that's kind of an ongoing yep. topic of conversation for us. So naturally it would go there. But Emily, tell me. Pong to me. Pong, pong it over to you. Pong it over. So I live in Oakland, California, but after college, so I, you know, like we said earlier, born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, went to Arizona State. But then after college, moved to Minneapolis for work and lived there for a few years and then moved out to California also for work and have been in California now for, oh my gosh, how long now? Nine years at this point. And so that's been a really interesting experience because growing up in Phoenix where the most Asian people who you see are your family and because we have a large family and a lot of them are in Arizona I feel like any place that we went it was quite the Asian presence whenever we walked into like a restaurant or any place it was we were bringing the diversity numbers up and so to go from that to moving to the Midwest in Minneapolis where it's also not diverse or it is very segregated where there are pockets, but it's still predominantly white. And really finding other Asian American friends there intentionally so because I felt very removed from the culture being away from family. And so a lot of my close friends from Minneapolis actually are Asian women. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of counterintuitive given how predominantly white it is there. But It was interesting navigating a large corporation back there, a Midwestern corporation, being an ethnic minority, but also being a minority in the sense of I wasn't from the Midwest. Mm. And so that culture was very much dictated by being in the Midwest uh, Mm. versus it being white necessarily. But then moving out to California where ethnically not a minority because there are so many Asians out in California, especially in the Bay Area. And I work in tech. And so that's also a lot of Asians. And I remember when I was in Minnesota, I joined the Asian Heritage Network at work to meet people. Mm -hmm. And when I got out to California, my initial thought was, why do these companies have Asian Heritage Networks? They have so many Asian employees. Why did the California California companies companies have that? Why do they need Mm -hmm. that? And it wasn't until I think, you know, more recently, I'm ashamed to say that it's like I do see the need for visibility and representation because it's easy to fall into the trap of, well, there you're not a minority. Mm-hmm. It's the model minority myth of, 
well, you don't have struggles as a minority or an underrepresented group because there are so many of you. Mm -hmm. But I think it's easier to not think about issues of a particular race when it is so prevalent there. But But, that's not to say that issues don't exist. Right. Because they definitely do. Right. And I mean... The Asian American experience and like AAPI is like Pacific Islanders, like it's so broad anyways that to bucket us all into one group to say like, oh, well, this is the way that Asian Americans are viewed in work. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what Asian Americans are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Because we have different struggles. We face different stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And I think that even further underrepresented groups, like they don't have their needs addressed because it's like, well, you're all doing fine. You're all doctors and engineers and architects. And it's like, no, we're not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And so being out in California where you have such a huge Asian population, but similar, I think, to how there's such a large Mexican population in in Arizona Mm -hmm. where it starts to be this more of a feeling of like otherness. Mm-hmm. of you know and a lot of my friends in California are Asian Asian Americans just kind of by nature of you know we like to eat we have shared experiences mm-hmm. by nature know. of we like to eat we like to eat we want to find other people <laughs> to eat like an insane one, amount of good Asian food one of the qualifying when I moved when I moved from Minnesota to California I ate every single meal Asian food for at least like three months because I could not get my fill basically but like you were talking about you know in the southwest at least you you don't encounter the sort of the the rampant sort of hate crimes or the prevalence of that right or being bombarded with images about that and so it's harder to relate to that whereas you know we have in the southwest you have own issues Mm -hmm. right the racial tensions and everything in california it's like every single morning i wake up and it's oh, this 80-year-old Asian woman was attacked on the street yesterday and that's for like, no reason. Yeah, a couple miles from exactly, your house. Exactly, exactly. Or yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, neighbor's house has been broken into. And and so it's very different just living in that area. And, but because I work in tech, mm-hmm. not having to be in that environment directly, but then being bombarded with images of it, whereas I know that I'm in a bubble, being able to just stay at my mm-hmm. house and work from home, and not have to interact where yeah. I might be putting myself in danger because of what I look like, mm-hmm. that in itself also feels like a privilege. Yeah. Because it is a privilege, mm-hmm. you know. And dealing with the guilt of, well, I empathize because how are you supposed to feel when you see people who look like you mm-hmm. every day attacked? Mm-hmm. But then you don't have to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you feel about that? Oh. Like, how do you deal with, oh, well... I don't want to go out and interact with people because maybe I'll get attacked. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to. But I don't have yeah. to. But then it's also like, well, I have children too. And so I can't just not do anything or expose mm-hmm. them to the world. But then as they get older, they're still so young right now. But to educate them on what the world is like mm-hmm. for people who look like them. Mm-hmm. And having those talks early on, because I don't remember when we were kids ever having a talk of with our parents of, you know, you might be treated differently. People mm-hmm. might say these things to you yeah. because of what you look like, yeah. even if you think that you're American and that did because you are American. Yeah. And so when it does happen, because it is going to happen, mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's like you're not equipped to deal with it. <laughs> so I think, you know, living out in the Bay Area and having kids in the, in the Bay Area where I love that they are interacting with a diverse population. Mm-hmm. And I definitely love that part about it. But on the flip side of it, being away from family, mm-hmm. and there is a comfort level to that, right? And you talked about how it is very comfortable in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas in the Bay Area, the pace of life out there is very fast and Mm -hmm. it just feels like everybody's hustling around. And, and it just becomes a question of like, again, what, what makes me happy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and is, is that what makes me happy? Yeah. What's going to make my kids the happiest? Is yeah. it going to be... What's a good environment for them? Right. But also, like, I don't know, it's easy for me to say, but I always think, like, if I had kids, I would want to want for them to grow up somewhere very diverse and, like, yeah. not super polished. Like, so they get a little bit rough. But that's something you have to deal with on a different level. Like, Mm-hmm. equip them give them the tools to understand this environment why people are this way why they might say things not saying that doesn't happen here i think you know there's definitely there's racist people all over we're all a little racist come on guys i mean come on but you know it, it happens here but i like to call them armchair racist <laughs> like they're just gonna shout something stupid at you and it's gonna be offensive but it's yeah. just gonna be like they're they're they idiots. don't know any better, and that's the best thing they can come up with. And it's just stupid. Like, it, it hurts you, but it's just annoying. Right. All right. Well, I think it's a good time for a break. And so, as mentioned, listeners, now we are going to play for you a fake ad, which has no affiliation to any companies, real or fictional, that might be represented. They have nothing to do with us. They're not paying us any money. We are not getting anything from them. Some of times they don't even exist. So enjoy. I love cooking at home. Cooking is very therapeutic to me, and I enjoy knowing exactly what goes into the food that I'm eating. But it does get a little bit drab sometimes, and I find myself searching for something to amp things up. I'm excited to share that I've discovered donkey sauce. I've been putting donkey sauce in absolutely everything. I bought the gallon bucket with the spigot, and I love blanketing roasted vegetables with donkey sauce, grilling up a nice juicy steak with some donkey sauce on the side, adding donkey sauce to wintry soups and stews, and even a touch of donkey sauce in baked goods to give them a layer of delicious mystery flavor. Donkey sauce has this insane blend of spices and zesty umami undertones that really pairs perfectly with everything. As the creator of donkey sauce, Sir Guy Fieri says himself, you could put this on a flip-flop and it would taste good. I'm so excited to share that donkey sauce has partnered with the pod. And when you visit GuyFieri'sDonkeySauce.net and enter Double Cuzzies at checkout, that's D-O-U-B-L-E-C-U-Z-Z-I-E-S, You'll get a free purse size squeeze bottle of donkey sauce so you can take a little trip to Flavortown wherever you are. All right, listeners. Well, I hope you enjoyed that ad break. And again, if you have a business that you want us to write a commercial for you, feel free to reach out. Okay, back to the discussion. What does being Asian American mean to you, Emily? Well, I think that it means living between two cultures Mm -hmm. and you know i've heard the concept of third culture which i think is really true Mm -hmm. because and uh, you know i was explaining this with my neighbor to another neighbor Mm -hmm. one of my other neighbors is asian american mixed race and and explaining that that, you know the there is a big difference Mm -hmm. between asian cultures Mm -hmm. and asian american cultures and American cultures. And so I think like being Asian American and especially in our family of being very Asian American, very Asian and very American, you know, I, I feel really lucky in the sense that we have such a cultural connection to the traditions and the rituals and the sense of family and the food and the, you know, the importance of that from the Asian side, but then ingrained of the American side of you should do what makes you happy and And freedom and the freedom, freedom, freedom. 
America is all about freedom. And, you know, our family is very outspoken too. We have a lot of really funny dialogues and sometimes they don't always get into the deep shit, but we have a lot of funny dialogues. And, and I think that's very American too, right? Mm-hmm. The way that our family interacts that with each sense other. That of expression. Right. So I think having that balance of, you know, and that appreciation for our elders and the filial mm-hmm. piety, but then also having a very, like, friendly relationship with our parents too Mm -hmm. and seeing them as adults and peers and not having this sort of very hierarchical structure or feeling in our family so I think I think that's what that's part of what Asian American is and I think it's really being very aware Mm -hmm. of both sides of your identity Mm -hmm. too and always being aware of it right there's no way that I could forget that I look Asian (laughs) and even if I do the world's not going to let me forget it so yeah. What about I you? I totally agree with all of that. And I think because like one part of the family is so Asian and one part of the family is so American, it's like we almost grossly have a choice of what it is. And for me, yeah, it's cultural. It's something that is inherent, something that I've inherited from both parts of the family. And there are things I love about I mean, I love all of it. Our family is great. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> Nobody's listening. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> love you guys. Um, but also, I mean, it's something you can't escape because me physically, it's obviously I'm, I'm different. There's some type of otherness. But also just going back to, to being in Phoenix and being in Arizona all my life, I feel like being Asian American is, it's like, it's a choice. I obviously identify as that, but like, it's a choice in what sense? So being in Arizona, it's a choice. It's a choice. Like it's not, it's not overtly who I am. It doesn't. And, and yeah, that's a choice that I make that I'm not, that's not everything I am. And in a lot of situations, like, like it doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. like if you ask me, yeah, I'm Asian American. If you ask me the right question, don't ask me what am I. We'll get <laughs> into that from? later. But like I have a choice to, you know. Turn it on. To turn it, yeah, to turn <laughs> it on. And I'm not saying I, I don't have to. I don't, I really don't that much. And I, I feel like when I'm with family, yeah, that type of conversation and appreciation of certain things and just that that familiarity with each other is there but in my everyday like honestly oddly enough like doesn't matter and even in my workplace like I'm one of maybe four Asian people in an office of a few hundred but it's like I don't I don't see it really hindering my work or affecting my work in any specific way Mm -hmm. so it's like I get to choose I'm kind of in a, a pickle with that identity all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes sense. And I think that on one hand, it's it's really a blessing to, to have access to multiple cultures and to understand them firsthand and then to be able to choose when you want to tap into that. Yeah. And on the other hand, it's a trap of that people do want to, other people yeah. want to define have you. Expectations. Have expectations of who you are or what you're going to be like just based off of what you look yeah. like. And I think being in the Bay Area, (laughs) so like growing up in Arizona, whenever we were out somewhere and we'd see other Asians, it was very much like, hey, look, other Asians. 
or hey, <laughs> look, it's auntie and uncle, whoever, because we were probably really exactly right. That's who I have in my head too. Uh, look, 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 look. Hey, other Asians, I know. Right? Whereas out in the Bay Area, it's like so prevalent mm-hmm. that it it becomes a non-issue. Mm-hmm. And so I think that lulled me into this false sense of security of like, mm-hmm. oh well, I'm not a minority yeah. out here, and. And then when all the hate crime started happening and just crime in general started ramping up, it was a bit of an awakening of like, no, no matter how aware you think of, you know, how you're perceived, like there will be things that will rattle that. (laughs) So and I think that's just a sad part of living in in America as a non-white person. I mean, maybe more safe, different parts of the country. But yeah, that that could still happen at any time. But I think even the good with the bad, though, I am so happy that I am Asian American. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I would not change it for anything. No, no, not at all. And I think even there are definitely parts of my life when I was younger where, you know, I it was hard or I'd have thoughts of like, sadly enough, like I don't want to identify as this way. It's like you can't escape it. And there's so many things that I appreciate about it and the unique perspective and opportunities to grow and learn from that that it has provided me so yeah I'm very grateful for that I wouldn't change it yeah I, I wouldn't change it for the world and I, I love our family you know I love getting together and having that sense of just like you know we know each other we have the similarities and it's it's really cool and it's I feel like a preciousness that's built into all of that mm-hmm. And I think, too, I I mean, we're just getting out of the holidays, and I know the holidays can be stressful for a lot of people, um, but it never really has been for us because Mm -hmm. we all really, for the most part, like each other and like spending time with each other, and that's what the holidays are about. I'm not saying that's like a particularly Asian-American thing, but I feel like... I feel like all families, right? I mean, well, I feel like all families have their their stresses, and the holidays Mm -hmm. can be stressful for other reasons and stuff, but I think that, like... For our family in particular, like we're really lucky because we always enjoy getting together. Yeah. And we all cook some delicious food <laughs> too. So the potlucks are off the chain. Yeah. Um, and I can say that comes from like both sides of the family. Yeah. Like grandma and grandpa, always really fun, quality family time. They made super special moments happen when we were younger, all the cousins being together in Phoenix or Flagstaff or wherever, great vacations. And then the other, just like this tender gentle caring you know you mm-hmm. went over very the, different love languages between very, the two sides yeah 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 definitely like acts of service cooking mm-hmm. being with each other different energy for sure but it's like you felt it and you know you don't say i love you to your grandparents but you feel it mm-hmm. and you they, know it yeah they, they know right <laughs> Papa, I love you. Papa, I love you. Are you listening? I love you. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's the language. It's that presence without having to say that because it's a difficult thing for unspoken. (laughs) Unspoken. Yeah, I think it's just always nice. I I mean, I think it's like yeah, I get the holidays can be really stressful for everybody for various reasons but I think that always for us anyways we've been really lucky that getting together as family has always been like easy yeah you know it's always like I don't dread it obviously otherwise I wouldn't make the effort to come in but I think it is it's sort of it's comfortable it's so comfortable because we 
know everything about each other and it's the conversation is very, is always very interesting yeah, yeah there's just like a, a there's just like a fun and ease around it which i'm very appreciative of yeah. and i think too as as family has moved away like time together is, is so much more precious mm-hmm. and i think too in the past few years losing grandparents like that puts a different weight on everything and it's like every little moment is so precious and I wish I had you know spent more time soaking in grandma and grandpa but it's like I'm so grateful for what we have and the family we have and even just the silent moments together just very meaningful now this is when we're gonna filter out crying (laughs) (laughs) yeah but we're so lucky you know and to have a relationship to have had such a close relationship with grandma and grandpa like that's Yeah, I think we were really lucky in the sense that, like, we got to experience them as grandparents ourselves being adults Mm -hmm. and seeing them and appreciating them as adults and not just, which is really rare, I think. Mm -hmm. So the first half of this episode is us complaining about things, I feel like. (laughs) And the second half of this episode is just us like, I'm so lucky. We're so lucky. We are. We are. I mean, it's kind of, you know, we learn from, from all of it and that background and that base of family you just you can't deny but there's always something that you can learn and take with you yeah all right what is the next question that we have Uh, major family relationship changes so let's see so in the past two years three years we'll just say three years oh yeah for me for you yeah three years for me i had two kids that's about the life changes. <laughs> Big life changes. It. Big life changes in yeah. rapid succession. One of them being a pandemic baby. But that's been the big life changes. And I think that's... It's so like, they're almost exactly two years apart. Yeah. So yeah. One, one just turned one and turning three tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so that is enough life changes. I feel like we're yeah. all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then mixed into that, you know, pandemic and parenting in a pandemic has been interesting. But puts things into a very, very different perspective. Unexpected perspective, I bet. For sure. Unexpected perspective. Yeah. How do you think parenting has, parenting has changed? I think I am more compassionate to myself mm. because I'm like... I wouldn't want my kids to feel this way about themselves or it's like I'm trying. Yeah. So it's a hard job. It's fucking hard. And there's no guidebook that you can just pop into and figure everything out. So, and I think it's, it's hard when trying to figure this stuff out and then also teach somebody else how to do it. Right. And so I think that's also why as much as I can figure my own shit out now (laughs) so that I don't have to, so that I can set my kids up for how to, understand themselves yeah then as much as i can make their lives easier yeah i think, that's what I think you're doing wants. a great job at figuring yourself out and then also taking the time to understand where they are and you've shared some things with me about you know just developmentally how to deal with the two and a half year old how to communicate with them and that's just i mean above and beyond anything i've seen and you see it work well i think it's funny because you know two-year-olds and toddlers three-year-olds they're like they have tantrums and Mm -hmm. because they are learning like they can't process anything that's happening right they're learning all of that and so tripping balls they're just tripping balls all the time yeah and and uh, and so yeah that's going to be stressful and it takes a lot of patience to not react to it right and so I think 
having to deal with that has also helped me try to regulate my own emotional state too. Again, of like not letting somebody else's emotional state affect me personally or directly. But I think, you know, I, I asked my mom of, well, like, what did you do when we were kids and we would have tantrums and everything? She's like, you never did that. I was like, did we really not do that? Yeah. Or are you just repressing it? But yeah, I guess like we were, and again, I, I think there's any time that there was any sort of like emotional outburst or anything, it was just like- You'd leave the kid like alone. Be, yeah, or... calm down or like, you know, yeah. take a time out for yourself or or like don't be so sensitive again. Yeah. And and so I guess maybe now as a 35-year-old, I'm having the tantrums that I wasn't- I was deprived of tantrums as a child. That's what it was. Yeah. I was deprived of tantrums and emotionally engaging conversations. Yeah. And now as an adult, yes. And now as an adult, I'm having all of my emotional tantrums on a podcast Mm -hmm. with you instead. (laughs) Take it out with me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You, what about you? Pong back to you. What was the question? Life changes. changes. Yeah. Where where were we talking about Where were we? So the last two years, um, I I have been in a relationship for almost five years now wow. with the same person. I know, crazy. It doesn't seem that long, which I guess is a good thing. But about about two years ago, we moved in with each other, and then the pandemic happened, kicked into full gear, and like a week later, so it was. Kind <laughs> and of, you still live together, and though. We still live together, and we've. We've redone a house together. He did a lot of incredible hands-on work redoing the house himself. So that was a big time and emotional and physical investment. And yeah, I think there was a lot of uncertainties and what what's going to unfold with COVID and you know what is it going to be like spending so much time with this person in this crazy house. It's It's been good. It's been good. No huge surprises, but I think a lot of people told me like, you think you know somebody and then you move in with them and they like surprise they shit on the floor <laughs> i don't know so the first time that he did that yeah. you were like it's well like, people warned me about yeah. it so i'm not surprised yeah, but he yeah. still does no. <laughs> no but no big surprises i mean we'd spend a lot of time with each other and you know been through things with each other before but um I will say I've never been in a relationship like this. He's very in tune with feelings and emotions and very patient. And so there's been a lot of instances where, you know, I, I am not equipped or don't know how to deal with something and he'll gently guide me there. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. He's like dealing with a child having a tantrum. <laughs> but that's, you know, given me a space and a person to kind of work through things with on very differently than I would have in the past. So I think, uh, yeah, emotional development in this relationship has been huge and has made me think about everything differently. So, I mean, yeah, that's been the past couple years, big life change, um, still kicking it and finished the house. It feels good. It looks great. We're recording here now. (laughs) Yeah, so, but now I think kind of, for me, it's like, what's next, you know? And as yeah. an adult, there's not a natural path if you want to change things up. It's not like, you know, in two years, I'm going to be done with high school and I have to choose this or that. You know, it's like, you yep. need to make those decisions for yourself. And I think in the past, I haven't really been too forward with that. So a lot of that, yeah, no one's going to help yourself but yourself. Right. So giving myself the time to discover that and figure that out and, and also giving myself grace because I think... A big part of me was like, you want to do something, you want to do something new with your life and your career, you should just know, 
Like it's going to pop up and it'll come to you and it's not that easy. (laughs) So big, that's been the big change and the big change I'm going through too. So yeah, I've always felt that life unfolds as it should, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be making conscious decisions (laughs) about where you end, where you ultimately want to end up, you know, or like what state of being you kind of want to end up in at least. And the path to doing that could look very different than what the traditional path is. But I think as long as you're conscious about like what you're trying to do. Yeah. Well, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Thanks again for listening and uh, tune in next time. Thanks for listening to Double Cuzzies, where we're cousins and friends. But most importantly, we're family. Bye. Bye.